0: Brittany Ross and I play the fiddle.
1: I'm Catherine Flincham and I play the pipe. And together we are fiddle and pipe. Two classical musicians who are reading and discussing topics beyond the staff. So grab a book, take a seat,
0: and tune in. I'm recording.
1: I'm recording as well. And we are recording take two of this episode
0: feel like that's a theme with us recently.
1: I mean, yeah, it has been. Am I
0: wrong? <laughs> so we recorded a fantastic episode for y'all last night. Don't know what happened, but I turned on everything to edit during my lunch break while I was clinishing out of middle school, and there was no audio for my track. And I was like, that's great.
1: You're handling this very well. If I were in your situation... I
0: cried a little bit.
1: Okay. (laughs) Um, It just takes me back to what we were talking about in Atomic (laughs) (laughs) Habit. How we react to situations.
0: I was really pissed off about it. I'm one of those people where when I get really frustrated, I tear up. And I was like,
1: it's okay though. Like (laughs) we know what to say and it's okay to cry about it because I know if I were in your shoes, I would be like dead of tears.
0: So, in the spirit of what everyone knows February for,
1: Um, which is uh,
0: not Black History Month.
1: uh, President's Day?
0: Not President's Day.
1: Uh, Groundhog Day?
0: I thought that was January. I guess it is February. I'll give you one more guess. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, Love is the key word. Love. um, Yeah. I don't really celebrate Valentine's Day. As much. I just remember I always felt crappy when I was in high school. <laughs> and <laughs> I would just feel so sad. Why can't I have a Valentine?
0: I'm your Valentine.
1: You're <laughs> my Valentine.
0: As a Valentine's Day present, do you know what I'm gonna give you?
1: Um a Valentine? <laughs>
0: <laughs> you got it.
1: With those little <laughs> card ones? That you used to buy at CVS or Walgreens. <laughs> like
0: packs of 30 for your whole class.
1: <laughs> yeah. Are you going to send me Yeah. <laughs> I'll,
0: yeah, I'll mail you. Sweet. I was going to give you an episode on mm. classical music's most famous love triangle.
1: Ooh. Tell me more.
0: Ooh. That was sexy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm into that. Have you heard of, I believe, this... Oh, what's his name? Uh... Brahms?
1: Oh, you mean Johannes Brahms? (laughs) Johannes Brahms! (laughs) Ah, if you guys have not seen the Raisin Brahms video on YouTube, we'll help you with this. And we're actually going to put this in the description (laughs) because Mm -hmm. you need to educate yourself about Raisin Brahms.
0: It's a life changer.
1: (laughs) It is a life changer. We're not going to spoil it for you.
0: Mm Mm-mm. Mm -hmm. So Brahms was in a weird love triangle of sorts with Robert and Clara Schumann, a little juicier than you would expect for classical music.
1: Or maybe a lot. (laughs) After reading those love letters, like, I mean... Mm.
0: This is such a dense subject, and I have been (laughs) kind of dreading recording this episode, there's a lot of material I've read so much, and I feel like I don't really know what specifically happened.
1: I always had a general idea that Brahms is really close to Claire Schumann and Robert Schumann, but it just seems like after reading into all of this and kind of doing research, it it's still a little confusing.
0: It seems more mystifying.
1: There wasn't anything significant that we know of. There's like one big landmark moment but like to end everything
0: part of that i know we talked about this yesterday is because most of our evidence from the time is based in letters Mm -hmm. which are already warped because they are from one person's perception and Mm -hmm. they can include and exclude as many things as people want
1: a lot of the stuff that you read in his letters there's definitely some missing context happening and Mm -hmm. It's so aggravating because I'm sitting there and I'm like, why, Clara? What did you do to your letters? Like, why did you burn them? It's funny because he literally writes in one of his letters, burn after you read this, Clara.
0: So I actually learned last night that they both destroyed some of their letters.
1: Oh, they definitely were like, we're not letting this get out. Mm mm. Something happened behind the scenes.
0: I definitely Google searched some of this stuff and found a lot less serious material. And I definitely stumbled across a few websites that were like, did Brahms and Clara Schumann have sex? And I was like, did they? Did they? And no one really knows. I'm like, did
1: they? (laughs) Like, tell me. I want the answer. (laughs) Oh, man. I need to know. So there's this really unique resource that I used in my research, which was the Clara Schumann channel on YouTube. If you guys want to check it out, definitely go visit their channel. This person seems to be very enthusiastic about Clara Schumann. And also they have some like really interesting like stories about Clara Schumann on Brahms. But some of the videos that I remember watching, they mentioned something about them like meeting up in secret and whatnot. (laughs) And I'm sitting there and I'm like, Mm -hmm. what? Like they went into an inn together on a hiking trip and they shared the room in the inn. Mm. Very scandalous, but I could not find that anywhere in my biographical book reading research whatsoever. So I don't know where this person found that information.
0: The sources that I did use, and I guess we should probably say our sources before we get Mm -hmm. too much further into this episode so that way people know that we are... (laughs) kind of credible and we do like a works cited page i used the letters of robert schumann i used a book called the lives of the great composers by harold c schoenberg which provided maybe a 50 to 100 page overview of both brahms and schumann and i used a book called trio by bowman desai i might be pronouncing that wrong he calls it a novel biography i guess technically it would be historical fiction but it's like an 800-page book where he talks about the relationship between Robert Clara Schumann and Brahms, and hmm. he did painstaking research and included a lot of their real letters in there. Hmm. And Interesting. Yeah, I believe that all the actions in there are historically accurate. The only thing that might not be historically accurate is, like, Brahms said, "egad" <laughs> or something. Oh!
1: So, one of the books that I read, actually, was... It's just a basic The Master Musician's Brahms by Peter Latham. I've had this book for a very long time. It's a really neat book because the first half talks about more about his life, and then the second half talks about his music. There's weird narration scenes in this book where he's like, ah, alas, like, we have to go to Bond to go to Claire's body where <laughs> she is buried next to her husband. And I'm sitting there like, this person was very happy <laughs> and very narrative-esque. With this book.
0: <laughs> yeah, I normally wouldn't include a work of fiction as a source, but after fact-checking a lot of the stuff in it that I wanted to use for this episode, I realized that the grand majority of what is in this book is nonfiction.
1: So I had that Peter Leitham biography. I also had, which I wish that we had the first volume of, but it's okay, volume two, I guess it's second best. Literally. It is. (laughs) This is the Clara Schumann and Johannes Brahms, the letters of them. And it's literally all the letters that they wrote. But I'm really mad because I only have volume two, not volume one, because two starts in 1888. Not the juicy content Mm -hmm. that I wanted to have that was 1853 to 18... 56, 57-ish. Mm-hmm. Like, can, yeah. can I have those letters, please? But no, that's in volume one. That was not available. So I was... The last book I had, I did a little bit more reading and research with this book. This is Johannes Brahms' Life and Letters by Strya Evans. It has a lot of letters from Johannes Brahms to Claire Schumann and to other significant people in his life. His father, Robert Schumann... Josef Jauchheim. And it has like a little bit of bits and pieces of his life, where we're at with each letter, like as each letter progresses. So.
0: Oh, yeah. And I also use the CDC's website.
1: As oh, one of my yeah.
0: <laughs> one of these is not like the others.
1: It's not. How should we get into this? Should we just kind of start from the very beginning with Robert?
0: Yeah, Mr. Robert Schumann, the oldest of the trio. He was born in 1810. In, I think it's Zickau, I could be wrong, in Saxony. At this time, Germany was not fully unified. That wouldn't happen happened until, I think, 1870, and we're not going to get into the history of that. We did not research the unification of Germany.
1: Yeah, you're kind of shit out of luck on my end. I know German history, but when it comes to that specifically, no, because that was never ever brought up in my history classes.
0: So Saxony was part of modern day Germany. I forget what his mother did, but his dad was a big literary guy and he got his son into the finer things in life, such as <laughs> books, literature, poetry, music. And Robert grew up wanting to be, you know, well refined gentleman like his father,
1: a Renaissance man,
0: a fancy boy.
1: Mm hmm.
0: Wearing fancy pants. (laughs) Robert was genuinely, very seriously interested in music, but his dad died when he was young and his mom was not super convinced that music would be a lucrative way for him to earn money because this is the time period where a man's responsibility was to provide for his family. And that was kind of all you were good for. Mm. So robert was like okay well i guess i'm gonna do law so he went to school for law
1: not at harvard not at harvard law school he did not he
0: yeah. <laughs> did harvard even <laughs> exist oh wait harvard is like established in like the 1700s
1: right it, yeah i i believe that yeah no i think harvard actually did exist hmm. i was thinking that we were in a time period way before harvard existed <laughs>
0: I read something where, like, the end of Brahms's life was around the same time of Custer's last stand with the Sioux Native oh, wow. Americans, and that really put it into perspective for me.
1: When I think about the 1800s, I significantly only remember mainly U.S. history. It's weird comparing that with composers.
0: Yeah, 1800s European history just seems so old. I'm like, ah, oh, we're in the 1600s. Right. There is no plumbing. I'm glad I'm
1: not alone on this. (laughs) Anyway, (laughs) continue on before we, yeah, anyway.
0: (laughs) Before we get too derailed on that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Robert still wanted to do music, so he sort of half-assed, went to school for law for a year or two. And some of his letters to his mom basically said, well, what if I can get myself a good teacher? And his mom was like, I guess, like, we can talk about it. So this is my 21st century impression of letters. Between Robert and his mother. (laughs) Enter Frederick Weick, which I guess we're assuming it's a V sound. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Clara Schumann's father, they were in Leipzig?
1: Yep, Leipzig. At least that's how I pronounce it. Sorry if you're German speaking. We apologize. I'm just sorry
0: for everything. Clara was born in 19... Or sorry. My God. God damn it. I did again. (laughs) 1819 in Leipzig. And from the age of four, I believe it was, her father started teaching her piano, and she was basically touring all around Europe by the age of nine, which is insane.
1: She is basically, like, post-Mozart child prodigy, like what Mozart's dad did to him. Like, okay, you're a little child, let's go tour.
0: (laughs) She was, and I, I literally thought it was just another case of a parent living vicariously through their kid, but Frederick was well-known and well-renowned for being a prestigious voice and piano instructor, Mm -hmm. so much so that people would literally send their kids to go live with them so they could basically board with them and study with him.
1: I mean, when you grow up in a household like that, you're going to probably also get that skill and... It was was just better.
0: So her parents were divorced. Scandalous. And she had two brothers, and eventually she had a couple of step siblings. Basically, with each kid, Frederick tried to train them to be the ultimate child prodigy. It didn't really work with the two brothers. Worked really well with Clara. And that's all she did was just play piano.
1: Girl power, right there. (laughs)
0: Like girl boss, except. Her dad basically ran the show for her, so he did all the administrative stuff behind the scenes, you know, booking the shows, getting the transportation, working the arrangements, marketing the show.
1: The things that they don't teach you in music school.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Clara had a little bit of knowledge of this because her dad forced her to write some of the letters to perfect her handwriting skills. But beyond that... I mean, keep in mind, Claire was nine. She was just a kid. You know, kid. when she started doing this. Yeah, she was just a kid. So it was really her and her dad would just travel around and she would make big bucks at these concerts. And yeah. Robert, as well I was emailed. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> he Carrier pigeoned
0: <laughs> a letter. <laughs> Robert... <laughs> Did not email. Carrier
1: pigeon.
0: (laughs) Via Carrier Pigeon, Pony Express sent a letter to Frederick, basically presenting his case that he would be a good student. And Frederick was like, eh, why not? Sure. So, Robert... Sure. Robert was like, I'm in law school, I'm smart, and I'm super great, but I'm just not all about this life. And Frederick was like, yeah, sure. And then Robert... Mailed his mom and his mom was like, okay, I guess Frederick's good enough. So yeah, do it. Clara and Robert met in 1828. Clara is nine and Robert is 18.
1: Yeah, he's basically an adult and she is a child. Yes.
0: Robert wanted to be one of his students. So he basically lived with them for a short period of time. Robert and Clara ended up being really good friends. Robert would tell her fairy tale stories and send her letters when he was gone or like when she was on tour and robert would play with her in robert's letters it's documented that he was into clara personality wise but he was like i'm looking for a woman and she is too young for me Which is, like, maybe not (laughs) the best thing that an 18-year-old should be writing about a 19-year-old to begin with, but...
1: Yeah, if you also look back in that time, too, people did kind of marry early back in that age. But nine's really young. Really young. Again, I listen to a lot of Vulgar History. Shout out to Vulgar History. If you guys haven't listened, but you're into history...
0: From a feminist comedy perspective
1: yeah and listening about badass women, go listen to that. but like marriages most of the time seem like they were if not arranged, like kind of set up in a way. Mhm, but yeah, the wording of that in his diary or his journal or whatever not the best way to write that down, yeah,
0: definitely <laughs> by the standards of twenty twenty two I feel like that would be enough to get him cancelled, rightfully, so
1: mm, yes.
0: But at the time, that was literally Robert just commenting on their relationship, which is interesting to see how that has changed in 200 years. Yeah. But the point being that Robert and Clara, at least in this stage in their life, never anything more yeah. than friends, even though from this time period until they ended up together, Clara was real into him. Like, she was pining after him, but Robert, like... Eh, get away
1: (laughs) it kind of makes a lot of sense because like let's look at from clara's perspective here she grew up probably around a lot of adults because she was touring she was doing a job basically what mostly adults at that time did she was a professional musician and she probably was surrounded by adults all the time and kind of just saw herself maybe as an adult and kind of saw herself through that lens Yeah, I'm not a psychologist or anything, but I know a lot of people who surround themselves with older people, they kind of act a little bit more mature compared to their actual age. You
0: can also see it in modern day kids, too, like how kids who are a few years apart will generally flock to those in the group who are older.
1: Yeah, I never had that experience because I was the oldest, so (laughs) don't really know that life.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, to a nine-year-old and eighteen-year-old's, gonna seem like they have their life together.
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, interesting. I did not know that they lived together. I knew that they knew each other for a very long time. I might have just lost that tidbit of information when I was in music history that they lived together.
0: Robert lived with them for a bit. He was taught by Clever's dad until he ruined his own hand
1: with that weird contraption that he made.
0: Actually, in the sources that I found, it's never definitively said what he did. So this is assumed. So it could be wrong. He apparently allegedly made a finger strengthening device out of a cigar box that would somehow hold one finger up brace one finger up and allow him to move his other fingers across the piano, I guess focusing more on strengthening the fingers that he was using and less on the one or ones that he was not using. Hmm. And apparently he ended up paralyzing or suffering extreme like muscular atrophy in at least one finger. A few things that I read said two fingers. He ruined his fingers to the point where Either they were paralyzed or they had atrophied, and he was just not set up to be a pianist anymore. His fingers just would not work.
1: Well, you know what? That is actually not a bad thing, because he became a really good composer. And we wouldn't have some of the pieces that he wrote today. Mm -hmm. And we might not have Brahms. So let's just say that.
0: Yeah, from that point forward, he focused on composition. He moved back in with his family in 1832 and moved back to Leipzig in 1834. And by this point, Brahms was born in 1833 in Hamburger or Hamburg. (laughs) (laughs) I kept thinking of Hamburger the whole time.
1: Yes. But yes, Brahms was born in Hamburg. Um, His father, Johann Jacob, I'm going to say Jacob because Jays, but his dad was a musician. He was a bassist. He wasn't as successful. Like, he definitely struggled.
0: Like, he played for a regional orchestra, and that was his only thing. He didn't teach. He didn't tour. He played in some bars, and... I feel like there was definitely less of a stigma around prostitution during this time, but he made a lot of his living also playing in brothels.
1: I mean, if it pays the bills. For real. <laughs> For real. But he he married, what was his mother's name? I know his father's name more than his mother's name. Is that bad? I'm such a feminist. I'm such a sexist. I'm such a sexist. <laughs>
0: His mom was Johanna Henrika Christine Nisen.
1: Well, we're just going to call her Johanna.
0: A seamstress who was 17 years older than her husband.
1: Yeah, so basically they weren't really wealthy. I would say like lower middle class maybe. Yeah. They were just
0: not super wealthy. They were making ends meet with all those damn kids.
1: Three of them. (laughs) (laughs) johannes was one of three kids he learned music at a very early age because he showed interest in music and so johann put johannes on the piano just like what every other parent in 2022 does to their Mm three-year-old see how much has changed there brahms really liked music and he went to school he studied music with edward markson he learned a lot of box music. A lot of early Baroque music kinda shows you some of the stuff that he has written that we're more known to, like his symphony number no. four. Very modern. Definitely
0: organ style.
1: Yes. How things
0: would carry over viewing things more horizontally instead of vertically.
1: When he was learning music it was kinda of around eighteen forty.
0: We will switch back to the Schumann train, though, to get caught up with the Brahms Express. Robert realized that living the life of composition was super hard, yo. So he published the Zeitschrift for music, which is the journal for new music. It was the first publication on contemporary music. And he co-published it with Frederick Weick, Julius Snor, and Ludwig Schnuck, I believe. I might be pronouncing all these names wrong.
1: Eh. Sorry, Jeremy.
0: Robert kind of did his own thing for a bit, just hung out, living his best life, writing compositions, trying to get big old, famous, and he eventually got engaged to another woman named Ernestine Von (gasps) Fricken.
1: I love the name Von (laughs) Fricken.
0: I would love that name. Miss Von (laughs) Fricken. They were engaged for, I think it was a year or a year and a half. What happened was, at this point in his life, Schumann realized that he had the hots for Clara all along. For some reason. So this is, I think... All along. Oh, Yeah, for real. (sighs) This is 1835. So Clara's 16. So it's a little bit more appropriate. A little. I mean, he's in his
1: early 20s.
0: Yeah, I don't know if I'd be okay with a 25-year-old with a 16-year-old.
1: Yeah, when I was 16, I wasn't thinking I would be with a 25-year-old. I definitely wanted to be with another 16-year-old.
0: Nine years is not a terrible age gap, but at that age it is, in my opinion.
1: Again, I think at that time, I think marriage, again, mostly, most of the time, it was arranged and age gaps were probably common, most likely. I don't think people really cared
0: definitely don't think it was as big of a deal i think most people wouldn't blink an eye at this at the time yeah robert admitted to clara that he had the hots for her all along and clara's like omg i've loved you my whole life too and they kissed (gasps) scandalous robert's still engaged (gasps) the bastard (gasps) so i think that was in december of, if I remember correctly, of 1835. And then in early 1836, Robert wrote a letter to Von Fricken, basically like, yeah, it's not you, it's me. It's just, it's just not gonna work out. Apparently, their breakup was amicable and mutual. But there are some sources that say that part of the reason that Robert kind of suddenly lost interest in her was because he found out that she was born out of wedlock and then she wouldn't have that money that money Hmm. money money
1: and we want that money
0: yeah so that might have been a factor but either way it was amicable they were fine then there's this really sad period between 1836 and 1840 where they want to get married I mean yeah she's 16 and he's 25 it's a little weird but they're in love they've known each other for a million years And Frederick is like, no, you're not good enough for my daughter.
1: Not good enough.
0: So you want some juicy letters.
1: Letters, yes, please. We want all the juice. Orange, apple, pineapple, starfruit.
0: It is to be noted that Robert at this point started having suicidal ideation. Apparently he went to a doctor because he was so afraid that he was going to jump out a window in a building at his friend's house hmm so just kind of keep that in your brains so this is a part of a letter from robert to clara in 1838 and clara basically wrote a letter like oh i was told that von fricken you cheated on her with me and you broke it off with her and why did you do that and i thought you were into her Like, why are you into me? Is this all fake? Robert says, At the time, you were just between childhood and girlhood and took little notice of me. Just then, Ernestine came on the scene, as good as a girl as the world holds. She, I thought, was the one to rescue me. And he's referring to getting past his, like, thoughts of suicide. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: I longed to cling to some womanly heart. I knew better. She loved me, as I could see. Well, you know all about it. The parting, our correspondence, our intimacy. That was in the winter of 1834, but once she was away, I began to think out what it might lead to. The whole affair began to weigh heavily. I heard how poor she was. I knew how little I could earn for all my efforts and could see no way out. Then I heard of the unfortunate family complications in what she had mixed up, and I confess I was hurt at her silence to me on the subject.
1: Hmm. Interesting.
0: So, Robert <laughs> looking for that cash cow. He really is. He's like, so Clara, I see you earn a lot from making money on tours and you're hot. (laughs) Marry me. So Frederick was not all about them getting married. He said consistently that Robert was too poor. He would never make enough money for the life that Clara wanted. Because keep in mind, this is the day and time when women were just kind of lazing around at home, popping out tots, making sure their casseroles were made for their husbands to come home. Maybe not casseroles. That's 1950s. I'm like a hundred years ahead of my time.
1: I think we know the 1900s way more than what happened in the 1800s. So
0: what did they eat in the 1800s? Maybe some kind of soup.
1: Bread. Meat.
0: Potatoes. Pie. um, Bread. <laughs> <laughs> beer.
1: Basic food groups. Vodka. Whiskey. Rum. Cognac. <laughs>
0: Oh, God. (laughs) Wine.
1: Yeah. We're not wrong.
0: Frederick was saying that he was too poor. He said that Robert was an alcoholic, which he wasn't a terrible alcoholic. I'm not saying he didn't have an issue. I'm just saying he wasn't, you know, he wasn't like Beethoven. I think everyone in that time drank too much, though. If you look at any records, you're like, how are you alive?
1: (laughs) For as long as they lived, it's a a wonder. (laughs) how their livers survived.
0: He also said that Robert was a hoe and slept <laughs> around, <laughs> which he wasn't wrong, but Robert was pretty committed to Clara when they were actually together.
1: Maybe he just wasn't sure. You know, he was like, I don't know, maybe like we won't be together.
0: He was well known in his student days for getting around and sleeping with every woman ever. He was kind of a hoe, but when it came to... People that he was in committed relationships with, it seemed like he was committed to them.
1: Aww. That gives you a whole new little visual of who Robert Schumann was, apart from, like, his music and some of the other things we're about to talk about.
0: Yeah, he had a lot of love for Clara, for sure. And I think the last thing that Frederick said was that he broke off his engagement with Ernestine for no good reason, and she hated him for it. None of these things were really true, unfortunately. Robert did earn less than Clara, but throughout this four-year period, he continually increases income. Mm -hmm. And I think everything else I actually previously addressed, but in this time, you had to have your parents' consent in order to get married. What happened was, is Robert's mom okayed the marriage, Clara's mom okayed the marriage, but Frederick said no. So, Robert asked Frederick, for his blessing i think twice in person and then three or four times via letter over this period of four years this was robert's response to clara asking how i believe the first ask went in 1837 my interview with your father was terrible he was frigid hostile confused and contradictory at once truly his method of stabbing is original for he drives in the hill as well as the blade and what now, my dear Clara? I am at a loss, absolutely, to know what to do. My reasoning power is quite exhausted, and any display of feeling is worse than useless in dealing with your father. What in the world can we do? You must be particularly on your guard against any attempt he will make to sell you, uh, which I think he means to another lover.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: During this period, Clara was still touring with her dad, and Robert would sometimes follow them into cities, and sometimes they would go into different cities, you know, from each other. Robert was trying to build up his own career. Frederick actually forbade them from seeing each other in person, so they had to sneak off and see each other sometimes. And Mm -hmm. he actually asked her to marry her in in a letter.
1: Oh, well, I guess if it's a romantic, unrequited love situation from the 19th century then yes that is sweet in
0: 1840 robert and clara actually ended up taking frederick to court and essentially suing him for the right to marry Mm -hmm. frederick presented his case and robert and clara presented their case and the court ruled in favor of robert and clara frederick's case was so i guess astonishing to people that it actually created a huge rift between Clara and her dad until I think their second kid was born and even then it was just not best.
1: Mm. Well, I mean, he's just going to have to deal with it. Cuz
0: yeah, so they <sighs> married in 1840 and Frederick didn't want anything to do with them anymore. So then at that point Clara had to manage her own concert schedule.
1: Yeah, she basically had to be her own boss.
0: Yeah, everything that her dad used to do. So, getting the hotels, the transportation, booking the gigs, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. At this point, there are records of Robert suffering from, quote, nervous depression, which is obviously not something that we say nowadays. I looked it up because I wasn't sure if it was like a nervous disorder or depression, but mm-hmm. it seems to be mental breakdowns from stress and panic attacks, like panic disorder. It's obvious that he had some kind of mental illness going on during this time. There are records of his melancholy and his depression, and he could not handle stress to save his life. He was constantly having panic attacks. So, Mm. he was a hot mess.
1: Yeah. I mean, has any of that changed for us as musicians sometimes? No. Around this time, while Schumann... Schumanns, I should say. The Schumanns were... They multiple. They were multiplying... I mean they literally really were, they, they were multiplying, if you know what I mean. Anyway, while that was happening, let's just go back. Brahms was born in eighteen thirty-three. So around this time when all that was happening with Clara and Robert, he was a child. And when <laughs> when <Wah. laughs> from eighteen forty-five to eighteen forty-eight, he studied with Edward and Markson. Again, that is where He most likely got his Bach influence because he studied a lot of his music there. He studied composition. His parents wanted him to be a performer instead. But he would rather do that, just compose.
0: And around this time, Robert and Clara are still touring. In fact, Clara and Robert made their first tour to Russia. That was horrible for Robert's mental health. He had a huge mental breakdown, and they ended up moving to Dresden by doctor's orders so robert could get rest and at this point he had started being convinced of table tapping which is essentially when you use any kind of flat surface to communicate with spirits or another world so he would just Mm -hmm. sit there and be like clara the table is tapping they're talking to me do you hear it and she'd be like no no So he's obviously having like auditory hallucinations by this point. Mm -hmm. 1850, he accepted the position of conductor at Dusseldorf and he horribly failed as a conductor there.
1: So around that time in 1850, Brahms was not in Dusseldorf, actually. He was sharing his music, but he was also playing it. And let's just say he wasn't doing as many tours and stuff like what Clara and Robert were doing. He wasn't well known. He was starting out. It seems like he was very timid. From some of the things I've been reading.
0: Let's talk about Brahms and, like, who he is and his aesthetic. Because if you look up Brahms, you get this Mm -hmm. picture of what you expect is this big, burly, bearded man.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. He wasn't like that.
0: No, he was from either, like, five foot even to five foot three. And he had a really high-pitched voice.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. There is, like, some recording out there of his voice, like... I remember hearing this in music history class. I mean, the quality of it was so bad because I'm sure it was from an early, like... I don't want to say a phonograph. I think it
0: was a phonograph.
1: You think it was the phonograph? Do you really... Do they really take snippets? Oh, gosh. History. Anyway, it was high. Like, you can hear it slightly. I just remember that clip was presented to us in music history class. I'm
0: 99.9% sure. At the end of his life, he... Participated in one of the first recordings of the phonograph.
1: So it was. Was that true? Was that right? Yes. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. Did you look this up after we talked about it yesterday?
0: I was really interested.
1: (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah. No, I'm glad I was right about that because I swear. And if we can find the
0: recording of his voice, we will put it in the notes.
1: I don't know if we'll find that, but... (laughs) Hey, you look kind of peppy. I am peppy because I just drank a cup of coffee from La Belle Rosette Espresso and Wine Bar. That's in Denver, right? Yep, we are located right across the street from the University of Denver. And do they have more than just espresso and wine? Yeah, we have breakfast burritos, paninis, pastries, teas. We have a lot.
0: If someone was walking through Denver, and let's say this person was me, and let's say I wanted a panini, when is LaBelle open so I can go and get one?
1: We are open from 7 to 5, Monday through Friday, 7 to 2 on Saturdays, 8 to 2 on Sundays. And if you use the code FPPODCAST, you'll get 15% off your order, whether you're in-store or online at LaBelleRosette.com. That's a really good deal. Totally a good deal, and it's even a better deal when you get to see moi at the store.
0: Is that a good deal?
1: Uh, not really, but I actually need to head to work right now because I'm gonna be late. Oh, so I'm gonna go go to La Belle Rosette. Go. Bye.
0: Right now, drop everything. <laughs> go.
1: But yeah, he was very timid,
0: and he was not popular with the ladies.
1: No, he was not popular with the ladies. He most likely was probably shy. I think the only significant person that is in his life, female-wise, is his mother. Which, you know, we're not shocked. Even though Brahms wasn't well known, he was kind of putting himself out there. He first met a violinist named Eddie Remigny. I could pronounce that wrong. They actually toured together. They did some recitals. Remini actually was the person to introduce Brahms to Franz Liszt. The one piece that always popped up in my research was that Brahms always shared his C major sonata for piano, his opus one. <laughs> and I listened to it. It's pretty decent. It's not bad for a first piece at all, but I think he felt a little bit like, scared to show it to List, and then later down the road, he meets another guy named Yosef Jakheim, who I like to label as BFF Yosef.
0: It was really interesting to see his name because the Brahms Violin Concerto is my favorite concerto, and I know that the dedication of that concerto is mm-hmm. to BFF Yosef. <laughs> so I was like, ah, uh,
1: ah. Uh. Ah,
0: I see you there.
1: (laughs) Like, I see you. And yes, Yosef was also a violinist. And Yosef actually was encouraging Brahms to share his music to Robert Schumann, which um, supposedly Yosef knew the Schumanns, yes?
0: Yeah, he was actually good friends with the Schumanns by this point because the Schumanns were really ingrained in the music society. This is a pre-Instagram era. The music community is close and tight-knit. Clara Schumann, at her sweet 16th birthday party, she shared it with Mendelssohn. Yeah. (laughs) Like, she was (laughs) friends with Chopin and Mendelssohn and Liszt. Robert got inspired to drop Law when he saw Paganini play. Kind of once you got an in on this scene, you were good.
1: Basically, and Brahms was like, I want to be part of that circle. And fun fact, he did send Schumann his music, but Schumann did not know Brahms at the time.
0: No, and Robert had other concerns going on. He was like, "Who, who is who is this Brahms? Send it back, send who it is back. This
1: Johannes Brahms? How dare he? He sent back the
0: manuscript <laughs> unopened, and it was really just supposed to be more of a, I don't have time to deal with this. And Brahms took a huge offense. To it mm-hmm. being like, oh, Robert Schumann must think I'm total garbage. My music is trash.
1: Which, to be fair, though, like, if that happened to you, like, let's just say, like, you sent something to Hillary Hunt and you're mm-hmm. like, Hillary, I dedicated this performance for you and she just didn't listen to it. Like, how would you feel? Like, that is like some imposter syndrome. Some, I would cry. Like, sadness right there. I totally get it. I totally get it, Brahms.
0: And also keep in mind, Robert Schumann was at the time one of the greatest living composers
1: mm-hmm. yes. so
0: to get that kind of backhanded eh, i'm not gonna worry about you from someone who's like you said at the top of your field is like oh well maybe i, sh- I shouldn't be doing this
1: yeah but bff yosef was like no man you gotta show your music to Robert and Clara because I know they would like it now when Brahms originally first sent his music to Robert Schumann this was like years before so by this time it's 1853 and Brahms is like okay so he goes to Dusseldorf I like saying Dusseldorf by the way I think it's just a cute little name like Dusseldorf it's a cute name (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and so he comes in he plays his c major piano sonata because again that just shows up a lot in my research from when they meet and a lot of his early day music
0: what happened was is that Brahms started playing and Robert's just sitting there and he's like wait wait hold on a second my wife needs to hear this Clara Clara and then Clara Schumann comes like <laughs> scuffling in and he's like okay start over
1: and then their eyes meet and Brahms and Clara are in love. I'm just kidding. That did not. Who knows? And then
0: actually, that's the end of this episode. Thank you for joining. End of the episode. Bye.
1: Just kidding. No, for real. They all meet and Clara and Robert love his music. Robert Schumann called him the next Beethoven.
0: Which he hated. Yeah. He hated the comparison to Beethoven. It put him under a lot of pressure and he wanted to be seen as his own composer and not as a mm-hmm. continuation of beethoven and not only that but beethoven was and is one of the greatest composers in my humbly unbiased opinion
1: to be compared to that is like very pressurizing
0: it's like oh hot damn like uh, i don't know about all of that like i just wrote a piano concerto i thought it sounded pretty
1: yeah and because he kind of felt really timid Schumann actually was like, no, you should definitely share your music. It should be out there to the masses. And so Schumann encouraged him to get his music published at Breitkopf and Hartel. He was also trying to get Brahms to grow an actual audience. So talk to potential donors and other musicians and composers. Like, basically now Brahms is in. He's in the circle.
0: He also published a very shiny beautiful article about Brahms in his new music journal mm-hmm. highlighting him as a new composer of importance.
1: Yeah. Brahms felt super grateful for this. I mean, imagine like your idol is helping you with your career.
0: Wow, thanks Hillary.
1: <laughs> thanks, Hillary Han, if you're listening. Brittany is waiting for you. <laughs> I'm waiting. <laughs> because Brahms felt so happy about this help from Schumann, there's a letter that he wrote on November 29th, 1853. And I'll just share a snippet of it. So basically, he just praises Schumann for, you know, encouraging him to get his music published, because he looks at the nice, like neat print and everything. And he's very like, ah, oh, like my music is legitimate. Now I feel like a, an adult and whatnot. And so he says, may I set your wife's name at the head of my second work, I hardly dare, and yet I should like so much to give you a small token of my reverence and gratitude. So basically, he dedicated his, not one of the pieces that he published, which was his Sonata in F-sharp minor, to Claire Shimon. It's pretty cute and I don't think it was in a romantic way from what I read because you read some of the letters beforehand there's not much between him and Schumann and there's not much talking about Clara it's more about music. I think this was just a gesture like hey thank you so much for helping me out I want to dedicate something to you that means something to you like that's meaningful.
0: What about your beautiful wife?
1: Which everybody seemed to love, literally. Yeah,
0: (laughs) Clara was as much of his friend as Brahms. Clara was a piano prodigy, still actively touring with eight kids. This woman's been pregnant ten times, and she has eight kids. One of them died at, like, a year old, I think, and the other one was a miscarriage. There was Clara, Schumann, and there was Liszt. Those were the big piano prodigies of that day. So when Brahms was writing all this stuff, playing things like a composer, you know, a little clunky, maybe fingerings were a little weird, Clara would just breeze right through it. So Brahms highly valued her input as well. So he had Robert from the composer perspective and he had Clara from the piano perspective.
1: Yeah, and everything seemed very great and promising and everyone seemed very happy and then Mm -hmm. february 27th 1854 happened what happened Brittany?
0: robert tried to kill himself literally he had some sort of huge mental break we could speculate that this is partially due to the failure of being a conductor at dusseldorf he didn't have the personality for it the musicians didn't really respect him he eventually decided to step down because they were trying to push him out of the position. He jumped into the Rhine River.
1: Seems just very cool.
0: Yeah I mean after being pulled out and resuscitated he decided to voluntarily commit himself to an institution Mm -hmm. because he thought he would be a danger to Clara and or the kids.
1: And it's really sad because he never really got to see them and Mm -hmm. I never even realized that and it just kind of sucks because You said yesterday that it was so that Clara wouldn't excite him. Yeah. And to me, when I hear that, that sounds a little sexist. What had
0: happened was, is Robert stayed at that institution until he died on July 29th, 1856. So, Clara was never allowed to visit until Robert was on his deathbed. He got visits from... Joseph Brahms, and other musician friends, Brahms would frequently ferry letters between the two of them.
1: It's just so sad. Yeah,
0: Robert Schumann essentially just wasted away in there. He had a lot of dementia-esque symptoms. He seemed very lucid at times where he seemed like he was doing okay, and Brahms would report back to Claire and be like, oh, he seems like he's getting better, and then he would mm-hmm. stop eating, or he would have... No idea who anyone was. I mean, he didn't live that long. He only stayed there Mm-mm. for like two and a half years.
1: Right after Schumann tried to commit suicide, Johannes Brahms immediately went to Clara Schumann and was basically helping her out because she was pregnant with her eighth child. I mean, she had like seven kids. I mean, what are you supposed to do? It's not a really good situation. So there's not much letter-wise during this time that I saw in my research.
0: I think this time was more about Brahms really just kind of stepped up in a big way because they didn't know Mm -hmm. what he had at the time. They thought that he had tertiary syphilis, which is essentially like third stage syphilis. And I can get into like a lot of syphilis talk if you want.
1: I think like the running joke, and I don't know if anybody else experienced this when they were in music school, but I just remember before I took music history class, everyone was telling me there's a moment in the semester where you mark who died of syphilis back in the 19th century or whatnot and i'm like oh okay and i remember schumann syphilis was one of the causes but i didn't really know what syphilis did because i mean when you're in sex ed you don't really learn like it does that at all yeah you just learn hey if you have unprotected sex like this is what you you get get that's it yeah
0: and actually the reason why i did a deep dive into syphilis was he had syphilis wouldn't clara and the kids have it as well
1: i mean that's also true because isn't it it's an std yeah it's carried via sex yes
0: and obviously they were having a lot of it because they had a million kids
1: just like everybody back in 1842
0: i looked it up and apparently thanks cdc Syphilis has three stages. The first stage is primary and secondary stage. The second stage is latency. And the third stage is tertiary. Primary and secondary stage is really what we think of when we think of syphilis. That's when you get the wart on your genitalia or your mouth or wherever it is. And that Mm -hmm. sore usually only lasts like three to six weeks. It doesn't stay. It heals regardless of if you get a cure or not. And these days, a cure is one dose of penicillin.
1: We are thankful that this exists.
0: Mm-hmm. Or else we could mm-hmm. be like Schumann. Yes. So one dose is 2.4 million units. And that's that's all it takes. Other symptoms could be skin rash, fever, mucous membrane lesions, and swollen lymph nodes, which none of these sound super fun. So after this stage, it goes into a latency period where you are essentially symptom free for years. And in this stage, it's... Not sexually transmitted. You can have sex and you're not going to pass it to people. If you are a pregnant mom, you can pass it to your fetus though. If you are in this stage of syphilis today, you get one dose of penicillin if you're in the early stage of latency or three doses of penicillin if you're in the late stage of latency. Um, Majority of people don't actually progress to tertiary syphilis. I think the CDC website said only like 10 to 30 percent of people will actually Mm -hmm. progress to this next stage it's still not contagious you're not gonna have sex and give it to someone but you will have severe medical problems because the syphilis has spread to your organs like your heart your blood vessels your brain your nervous system and your eyes you have hallucinations and this happens 10 to 30 years after the onset of the initial getting the syphilis When the syphilis spreads to your brain and eyes, it's called neurosyphilis, and side effects of that are severe headaches, paralysis, numbness, difficulty coordinating muscle movements, and dementia, changes in vision, and blindness. And there were records of Robert having sort of uncontrolled muscle movements from Clara's point of view, and obviously he had hallucinations. That was well documented. It's been argued that... The issue with his fingers could be a syphilis side effect. But Hmm. personally, I don't think that's the case because, you know, he died when he was 46. He was having the issues with his fingers when he was in his 20s. So there's no way that he had tertiary syphilis for 20 years. Like he was in a latency period at that point. Yeah. You know, or else he would have died. I feel like.
1: I don't know. Like, sometimes I feel like something may have happened right before he was like, I love Clara. (laughs) You know? Yeah. Don't you think? Or maybe, I don't want to say during, like, that four years period where they couldn't be engaged. But, I mean, who knows? We don't really know. We're not Robert Schumann.
0: It's hypothesized that he got syphilis when he was a student, when he was sleeping around a lot. Okay. Because no one really thinks that he cheated on Clara and got syphilis. They think he got it when he was a kid, when he was sleeping around. Okay. There was no such thing as safe sex. I mean, condoms no. didn't exist. You either had sex or you didn't have sex. And most people had sex. It's
1: the natural part of life.
0: Yeah, I mean, it really is. And some music historians suggest that he died of schizophrenia due to a lack of medical knowledge at the time and the fact that a lot of the symptoms that he had towards the end of his life also overlap with classic symptoms of schizophrenia so we're not 100 percent sure on that but most people do lean towards the syphilis camp gotcha all this to say is that Brahms really stepped up in a big way because no Mm -hmm. one really knew at the time what he had how long he would be institutionalized and when and if he would come out
1: And he never did, unfortunately. But Brahms, he stayed around. He helped Clara out, raise the kids, basically. After she had her eighth child and final child on June 11th, 1854, Brahms sent her a piece that he wrote called Little Variations on a Theme by Schumann. When I read this, by the way, my heart was just like, that is the sweetest thing I have ever if you think about it clara she's around like 34 35 around this time she has now eight children she's basically not sure what's gonna happen to her husband she's by herself i mean probably like there's other like family and help around but the love of her life is not around she just had a newborn that's sad kind
0: of a tough place to be
1: yeah, and so Brahms, knowing very well how he, much like he admires both Robert and Clara Schumann, and how much he probably knows, like how Clara and Robert love each other, writing this just seemed really meaningful and super sweet. Clara was overjoyed, and so the one letter that we do have of Clara Schumann. This is on June 18th, 1854. So this is, what, like seven, eight days after she has her kid? Mm -hmm. Which also, good for Brahms for writing that piece. That was fast. Unless he had it, like, preconceived. But she writes, Dear esteemed Air Brahms, You have given me deep joy with your tender attention. What I felt when I read your dedication, I cannot say yet you knew it already in as much as you wrote it. And so accept my written thanks, the sincerest, which I hope to give you soon in person. Mm. I read through the variations, but reading music affects my head so greatly nowadays that I couldn't get to know them as thoroughly as I would have wished. But I hope to hear them very soon played by you. Genuine Brahms, they are serious and humorous that I know. On Tuesday, I expect to get out of bed, and if you were to visit me in the afternoon around 4, 4, You would make me very happy that is very specific clara the news of my beloved robert was tolerable today he has been calm aside from a small insignificant disturbance oh how all this is so very little for a loving heart that so longs to hope very hard are the days that i now live through when i look at the dear little one and think of the dear father who is suffering far from all who love him and who is not even aware of his existence then i feel as though my heart would break from sorrow and pain But I distressed you, and that is not what I wanted. So accept the friendliest morning greeting from your Clara Schumann. I just find that so sweet. She's just like, your gift is awesome. Please come to my house and play it for me. Uh (laughs) Basically, that's what she's saying. And I guess, like, Johannes definitely got that letter because the next day, he literally writes to uh, BFF Yosef and said... (laughs) PSF <laughs> he literally writes to him saying I'll just show you the highlighted part but he talks about Clara Schumann and says I believe I admire and honor her no more highly than I love and I am in love with her I often have to restrain myself forcibly just from quietly embracing her and even I'm just gonna pause there because there's a dash and then nothing else hmm. I don't know It seems to me so natural, as though she could not take it at all amiss. I think I can't love a young girl at all anymore. At least, I have entirely forgotten them. After all, they merely promise the heaven, which Clara shows us, unlocked. So, here we go, guys. Juicy. Brahms is head over heels. At this time, he's like 21 years old. Yeah, he's a baby. He is a child. This is the first woman... That he has, like, fallen in love with, and he just happens to be around to help her out while her husband is not well.
0: Walked away. Yeah.
1: I don't really know what happens in between this time as much. I'm sure, like, he was just doing more music things, but Claire Schumann literally went and toured after she had her baby.
0: (laughs) Because she had eight, nine, if you include herself, nine mouths to feed. Yeah. Clearly... Brahms and Clara were bonding over some intense trauma that people should not have to go through.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Even though Brahms had not known them for a very long period of time, he felt super indebted to both of the shoot moms, and he got along very well with them. I mean, those three plus Yosef were essentially the four amigos of the music scene.
1: Yeah, and so they got really close, and...
0: And um, Brahms stepped in and paid a lot of the finances. I'm sure Clara didn't want... Oh, yeah. To feel like she was mooching off of her arms.
1: There was a period of time in the summer of 1854. Again, she just had her eighth child. Her husband is an in- institution. And, you know, she's just really sad that she, she's like, I don't know. I can't see my husband. I don't know if I will ever see him. All that stuff. So her girlfriends are like, okay, we're going to go to Austin, Belgium. We're going to have some time together. We're going to relax. We're going to have a good time. Let's go. So she is in Belgium. (laughs) Good friends. Uh, (laughs) They were not mentioned in the research that I looked up. But Brahms was like, okay, well, if Clara's going to be gone, I will do my own. Okay, they called it walking trip. (laughs) I'm going to call it a hike because that is what we do today. I mean, if you want to call your hikes a walking trip, that's totally fine.
0: Hey, Catherine, do you want to go on a walking trip with me?
1: (laughs) Yeah, let's go (laughs) On a walking trip to... Where am I going? Uh <laughs> Page 51. <laughs> I need to to page 51. So let's take a walking trip to Esligen. I probably said that really wrong. But let's take a walking trip to Germany. Because that's what Brahms was doing. He was like, I'm going to do that. So the first day of his trip, he writes a letter to Claire Schumann talking about How he's so in love with her, like how he misses her, can't wait to see her.
0: Oh my god, Brahms, chill out.
1: I know, right? The next day, this is August 16th, 1854, he's like, esteemed lady, I can't stand it any longer. I'm turning back today. He literally turned around and went back to Dusseldorf to basically wait for Claire Schumann to come back from her girl's trip and like be with her and help her out.
0: Oh my god, desperate. He
1: was very much (laughs) head over heels for her.
0: I wonder also if it was a sense of responsibility in a way, because Robert having fallen ill and not getting any better, Clara did depend on him a lot emotionally, financially, logistically with all the kids that she had. So I wonder if Brahms also just felt a sense of responsibility to Clara and her family as well.
1: Probably. Again, these letters in this summer, it's all about like, when are you coming home? What I think is just really funny is that in a lot of the letters that he writes to Clara, especially at this time, I'm sure he like is kind of communicating with Robert Schumann. He talks about Robert Schumann's health, like, oh, he's doing really well, or he had some lucid dreams the other day. And then he goes on to talk about how much he is infatuated by Clara. For instance, so here's a letter on August 21st, 1854. Revered lady, two treasured letters I have received from you. A thousand thanks for them. Though your letters you can make me forget for a little while that you are far away. Like he is... Basically in love with I wish her.
0: people still wrote like this.
1: You should tell David to do it. You should get him to say this. Words flow from my pen so laboriously that even my conversation may be more interesting. I would gladly write to you in just in music, but what I have to write today, music cannot say. I want to know what kind of music he was trying to write. Clara. i don't think
0: he was writing correctly
1: probably not does he
0: not know how to use a pen <laughs>
1: probably not but then literally like a couple paragraphs down your dear husband has not changed at least he has only gained a little weight his glance is friendly and bright his movements are very same as before he kept one hand continuous near his mouth like he's just going on about oh yeah your husband is also still alive but i love you <laughs> very bold of you brahms
0: <laughs> can i offer a theory yes brahms obviously had a lot of love for both robert and clara
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Brahms obviously had the hots for Clara. I think he thought that he could just push down his feelings of romantic interest for her in the vested interest of being friends, but still being open about it. Does that make sense? hmm I think he generally wanted Robert to get better.
1: I'm sure they both did because Robert Schumann was a great composer. They looked up to him. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people did. What other composer can you think of beforehand? What kind of event, like, that had happened to any other kind of composer that we know of, at least? Mm-hmm. It can show that they really cared for him. Right. Later that fall of 1854, again, this is a very juicy year, Clara actually does go on tour. Um, she needs to, you know, make money for her family of, well, nine, basically, Brahms, BFF Yosef, and their third wheel slash other composer friend, Julius Otto Grimm, they basically were like, yeah, like, we'll help you out. We'll help you out 100%. We'll babysit. Yeah, Brahms basically helped out at home. He did tour with Clara and Yosef for a while. But basically, Yosef and Clara did most of the touring while Brahms basically helped out at home. He also had to go back to Hamburg for a bit because his mother was old and dying. Mm-hmm. While he was in Hamburg for a little bit during Clara's tour, Clara actually visited the Brahmses.
0: Like his parents' house.
1: In the Life and Letters book, apparently, even in the other book that I read, both say that Brahms's mother and Clara Schumann actually got to know one another, and they were pretty acquainted, which I hmm. thought was really super special, because it's not just Brahms being acquainted with the Schumann family, But it's also Clara getting to know where Brahms comes from, which I thought was really sweet because it shows like how close they were as friends, like basically family. Speaking of being close like family, that's literally what kind of most likely Clara Schumann thought of Johannes Brahms because later down the road, around the same time, Johannes is telling Clara to call him by Johannes, which is super scandalous and she's married and her husband is in a hospital
0: hmm How dare you be this informal with another man?
1: And again, I only took two semesters of German. I do know what this label means in a generic sense, not in detail. So if I get this wrong, please excuse me for my knowledge, but... You're excused. Thank you. The capital D-U label in uh, German speak is basically in context, is related to people that are very close to you, very close family, very close friends in your circle. That's how you would, I guess, like, address those significant people in your life. So it's very, very, like, ooh, we're definitely close. Clara Schumann actually writes in her diary because Johannes is like, oh, no, like, we're close. Like, call me by this. Don't call me, like, Air Brahms. I don't want to hear Erbrams. Schumann writes in her diary. He had begged me to do so in Hamburg and I could not refuse for indeed I love him as a son so tenderly in her words. This is why I wanted her diary. I was sitting there and I was like where the hell is her diary at? (laughs) I want to read this myself but so did she love him or did she love him a little bit more like it sounds kind of like a diss in a way if you think about it from maybe like A perspective, like, where you're crushing on someone, where it's like, I see you as a brother.
0: Yeah, they friendzone you.
1: She totally friendzoned him. The ultimate friendzoner. And I only say that because a lot of people gave me shit friendzoning other people back in undergrad.
0: Did you ever tell them that they were like your son?
1: Uh, no. (laughs) I just I love you like a son. (laughs) I was like, you're a friend. (laughs) (laughs) The letters that continue on towards the end of 1854 are pretty similar. Brahms is updating Schumann regularly, talking about, oh, everything's going well, blah, 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 keeping updated Mm -hmm. on his wife, yet crushing on his wife, which Mm -hmm. is, you know, really cute, questionable at best. This is really funny. So Johannes Brahms writes to Robert Schumann on December 2nd, 1854, Most beloved friend, how can I convey to you my joy over your cherished letter? So often you have made me happy before when you thought of me so tenderly in your letters to your wife. And now a letter belongs to me exclusively. I believe this was the first letter he received from Robert Schumann, by the way, after Mm -hmm. like Robert Schumann was put like in institution. So yeah, that's why he's like so excited. And then he says, it is the first one that I have from you and is so infinitely precious to me. Unfortunately, I received it in Hamburg, where I had gone to visit my parents. I would much rather have received it from the hand of your wife. Mm. Just felt like whispering it. Again, there is some juiciness. Johannes is in love. Later down the road, later that month, basically, maybe a few days later, a week later, because this is December 15th of 1854. Again, Clara Schumann, not really happy, I think. Because her husband is gone. It's the holidays. I'm assuming that they celebrated Christmas in some kind of form back then.
0: I would imagine so.
1: I would imagine so. So Johannes kind of tried to do some things to cheer up Clara Schumann. One of the things that they connected really well with is that Clara Schumann actually recommended a lot of book reading for Johannes. And so Johannes would read these books that Clara would give him. And he would kind of play characters. From the books that she gave him, so this is actually from Arabian Nights. So he pretends, like in mid letter, to act like a prince or hmm. one of the princes from the tales. I've never read Arabian Nights, unfortunately. So yeah right. Sorry. Yeah, like I'm not super well known about this, but I'm assuming it's a lot of like stories. But he kind of. Shahir, yeah. That, that's true. To cheer her up, he starts acting like this prince. And then at the end of it, he says, Would to God it were permitted me today, instead of sending this letter to repeat to thee in person that I am dying of love for thee, tears prevent me from saying more. Farewell to thee. That's literally the first time he basically put in writing, I love you to Clara Schumann. We don't know how she reacted because we don't have that letter but we assume she reacted in some kind of way because in the next year 1855 it's very interesting to read it from one perspective because you can there's certain context clues that kind of tell you that maybe Claire Schumann was not super comfortable with some of the things that he may have said or maybe they had like some little fights or whatnot
0: or maybe Brahms made a move on her and she wasn't receptive to it.
1: Who knows? I mean, really, who knows? There are moments in that year specifically where he talks about physical affection, like touching her hand, kissing her. He goes from addressing her from dearest friend to beloved Clara and saying, your Johannes and whatnot at the end of his letters. There's one instance in 1856 that he talks about them being musicians together, just, like, living their lives. I guess, like, her performing and whatnot, him composing, and them having, like, this ideal, perfect life together. Just them. It's very, um, maybe cringy <laughs> because because we're not seeing the other side. We're not seeing the physical evidence of Claire's response. So it just seems like he's very desperate and he's just like, I love you. <laughs> He's writing to this wall. And it sucks because it's just like, damn it, like I wish I could go back in time and see what actually happened. Mm-hmm. Nobody really knows because um the last letter that we see from Johannes Brahms to Clara Schumann is on May eighth. And then we don't see anything until October twenty-second. And this is in in between that time, something may have happened between the two of them, but also Robert Schumann died.
0: Yeah, so, which I think that was a big turn for them because not only did Clara need to come to terms with the fact that her husband was dead, but also she was mm-hmm. technically available. I mean, yeah. She's not married anymore.
1: She was available, but also, I don't know, like for me, if, hypothetically, if I rent Clara Schumann's shoes, Schumann shoes. <laughs> I just I just had to, I had to think for a second.
0: It's okay. At least you didn't say Schubert. Schubert, yeah.
1: It's easy to get that wrong. <laughs> but if I were in her shoes, I mean, if I were in a very vulnerable place, like if someone was giving me that affection, just depending on the situation, your feelings are like running all over yeah, the Yeah, completely rampant. And also when this happened, she was pregnant. I'm sure like her hormones were going crazy back in that period as well. And so to go postpartum into that as well and then going on for this for years like you're in a very vulnerable place and I'm sure like afterwards she might have just been like
0: oh shit
1: yeah like I need to focus on myself and distance myself I don't feel comfortable with this like that's how I would feel I would just feel really weird and awkward but not everyone would feel like that not saying that she does feel that way but it's a possibility we don't know (laughs) we don't know
0: yeah And that kind of brings us full circle to what I was saying at the beginning of this episode is that I feel like I haven't really learned Mm any more of what happened. I learned a lot of nice, juicy bits and bobs. But
1: yeah, I learned that Johannes Brahms really loved Clara Schumann. And unfortunately, after Robert Schumann's death and whatnot, there is a possibility that they had like a trip together because the letter on October 22nd, the first letter we see that he writes to her after Robert Schumann's death, he talks about plans for a trip and in Mm -hmm. that Clara Schumann channel that I watched on YouTube there is mentioning of Johannes Brahms trying to get Clara Schumann to come back from touring a lot. He basically got her to go off tour and go on a trip together and that's where they found an inn together. How scandalous. Mm. But unfortunately, I did not go past as much as that because there's not as much juicy detail, to be very honest.
0: The relationship till the end of their lives was very much... Clara would get jealous of Brahms if he was with another woman, but Clara would tell him to settle down with a nice woman. Brahms would tell her that she should stop touring and care for her family and... Why couldn't she stop touring and just live with him? Yeah, I think they had a lot of weird resentment towards each other. They obviously went through something very traumatic together. And Brahms voluntarily gave three years of his youth to making sure that Clara and the kids would be okay. And I think their relationship was just founded during a very stressful time period. And I don't think they were really able to move past Robert dying.
1: Probably not. I mean, it's kind of like when you bond during a period of time, like over one thing, and that thing kind of like ends. It's like, now what? Like the only thing that we really have in common is this one thing. But now that it's over, it's kind of like music school in a way. Like you Mm -hmm. form all these like friendships with people, but then as years go on afterwards, some of them kind of fizzle out, you know? Right. An interesting little juicy fact. So two years later, Johannes finds one other woman Brahms meets Agatha von Siebold who is a soprano that's a name I know (laughs) (laughs) he basically falls in love with her again this is two years later after like Robert Schumann dies and he and Clara kind of you know like you know they have a little space I've seen this in not one, but two sources. But apparently, Johannes Brahms really loved Agatha into a point where he actually like proposed to her, so they were engaged for a little bit. But apparently, Agatha was doing like some kind of concert or whatnot, or maybe Claire Schumann was doing a concert or whatnot, but all three of them were in the same place. And apparently, Johannes Brahms put his hand or arm around Agatha's shoulder, and Claire Schumann saw that and was like, deuces and literally hit the road (laughs) and
0: (laughs) grab the kids
1: she's like bye like so super butthurt i think like in the the book said something that she left in a huff (laughs) which i thought was super cute in a very (laughs) pg way (laughs) she left in a huff but they had a friendship for i mean until they died Mm -hmm. Brahms actually would send music to Clara. He dedicated his serious songs to her after her death in 1896.
0: Yeah, Clara Schumann died in 1896 of a stroke, and then Brahms died in 1897 of liver cancer.
1: Yeah, so they were very close. She showed up to his Requiem premiere, which if y'all haven't heard that piece, it's really good.
0: Even though he wrote most of it after his mom died, Brahms sketched out the second movement after Robert Schumann's death.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so even though, like, the juicy content kind of died down for a bit...
0: For the rest of their lives, more or less.
1: Yeah, they were just good friends, and they still cared for one another. I read something that Brahms kind of was kind of crushing on one of Clara's daughters, which I felt was a little scary.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so Brahms was into Julie. Brahms was into her, but he never really said or told anyone that he was into her. So she ended up marrying some Italian aristocrat.
1: I think it's for the best, to be honest. Yeah,
0: and Brahms was acting super salty afterwards, and Clara was like, well, you never told me.
1: Yeah, if you just told me, man, I would have, like, given you my daughter. (laughs) That's a little strange, but, I mean, they just ended up being really good friends, and there's really not much else to say about this. No. Like, that was basically the juicy content.
0: I hope y'all enjoyed this episode. This was a lot of work.
1: It was a lot of work. I was so freaked out. I'm so glad I didn't go to the library this morning and drop off these
0: books. (laughs) Please let us know what... Y'all think of this episode, if y'all thought we did a good job, if there's something that we missed and you think we should know about, or if there's anything non-book-wise that y'all want to hear us do in the future.
1: Yeah, this definitely challenged me to kind of take notes again. Not super intense like I would when I was in school, but I definitely lost the skill of reading and jotting down notes. It's like I'm in a history yeah. class or something. I don't know. But it was neat. We basically taught ourselves a history lesson that we semi heard of in music history.
0: And hopefully, we taught you something. If y'all have any suggestions for us, please feel free to go to either of our two social media outlets. You can find us on Facebook at Fiddle and Pipe Forum, and you can find us on Instagram at Fiddle and Pipe. You can find us individually on Instagram. I'm at BM Ross Music
1: and I'm at Cat Flinch flute. If you also want to give us a little extra support and you feel like you want to hear a little bit more of us, check out our Patreon page at patreon.com/fiddleandpipe. We have two monthly tiers. $2 tier will give you access to outtakes and we'll give you a shout out. And then the $5 tier gives you those two things plus bonus content from our Fiddle and Pipe Happy Hour podcast, which we will be putting out new stuff very very soon. And then last but not least, give us a rating because on Apple Podcasts mm. or Spotify. Also, read us a review. Speaking of reviews, we got a new one. And so we just want to give uh, you a shout out to Tweeter Pop. They said, Catherine and Brittany are a delight to listen to. If you love reading and you want some reading partners, I would recommend them. They have read and discussed a lot of great books so far. I can't wait to see what else they present via the show. Thanks, ladies, for your content contribution to our community. Thank you so much, Pop. We highly appreciate it. And yeah, leave us a review. We would love to see what you guys think about the podcast because, again, we want to know what we can do better on our episodes. Or what y'all already like. Yeah. So we definitely appreciate the love. So thank you for supporting us. Make sure you listen to our next episode. Next week, we have three special guests. And we are talking about what it's like to be a musician and being black because we are two white women. We do not know this. We wanted to have a conversation with our friends about this because we feel like these are important conversations to have. And why not do it? It's Black History Month.
0: After that episode, so two weeks out, we will be starting our next book, Do Nothing, How to Break Away from Overworking, Overdoing, and Underliving by Celeste Headley.
1: I assume that's how you pronounce
0: it. We are very excited to read this book, jump back into the nonfiction self-help scene, and it has a picture of a sloth on it, so I know Catherine's really happy about that. That might be one of the main reasons why she picked the book.
1: (laughs) 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 Sorry, I can't stop laughing. You have such a cute laugh. (laughs) Okay, I bought (laughs) Coca-Cola, the Coke, with coffee.
0: that sounds disgusting
1: okay this one was not as bad as the one i had last night because that was what i was gonna do if we did patreon last night this one is with vanilla flavor the one i had last night was with caramel but that was like really sugary the one with vanilla is better i think it makes a little bit more sense because i like vanilla coke do you like vanilla coke
0: it's okay yeah,
1: I like having a little bit more flavor, but I mixed it with like. A, I
0: like cherry coke.
1: Ah, oh, cherry coke is so good. There was no cherry flavor. It was just vanilla, caramel, and dark roast. And I was like, dark roast sounds disgusting. Dark roast they. isn't a flavor. <laughs> or dark blend. That was what it was called. But I tried it with whiskey because I was like, are we gonna have a drink? And I just put whiskey in my coke. My heart is kind of like pumping. Really <laughs> And I have the giggles, and I'm like, I had whiskey. <laughs> like, I should be You're high. a mess. But no, I'm having extra caffeine, so. Last but not least, if you are in the Denver area and you are into some new sounds and new music, then definitely come check out uh, Nebula Ensemble's concert on March 7th at 7.30 at Regis University. I will have more details to come as the weeks go forth, but it's really neat because this is one of our residencies this year. We have some really neat pieces that we're playing, some really hard pieces that make me relearn multifonics and quarter tones, so it's really fun. I'll put the link to the event in the description.
0: I have nothing else to say, so...
1: We are done.
0: (laughs) Hopefully this recording is good. So I guess we'll see y'all next week for our Black... Musician focus.
1: Mm-hmm. Until next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.